I also really like the way they captured like Skype from like 15 years ago. I got back to my flat and no one had been there for like three days. So, like so stale, hot air. It was just, my, my building like, retained heat. Mm. And like none of the windows had been open. Big look, glazed windows are so just like light pouring in, east yeah. facing. So anyway, and then, I, you know, like it was colder outside, but I was just trying to, you know, ventilate this thing. And mm. it's that thing where like, you know, you're going to bed, you're cooling down and like your forehead is just damp. And, it, and 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 you're like, why? Mm. It's not a very good. It's not a very good story. I know. <laughs> Basically, my flat was warm. It was hot. But my point is, when you were like, oh, it's like you know, it's autumnal. It's Gilmore Girl season. And I'm like, well, no, because in my flat, it's yeah. still the Sahara. In America, where I just was in mm. New York, I went upstate to Hudson, like two hours on the train north. Yeah, to a very it's, sort of succession-y vibe place. It did feel a bit. I thought Wedding Crashers, Homely I, Estate. I, but... I I think the episode where you went was in season two of Succession, when they go to visit Pierce. When they try and they, they try, they remember they fly yes. and see Pierce and they try and woo Pierce and buy Pierce. Yes, I wish it was that nice. Well, or I, I was there for an important occasion, but um, it's uh, so I, I went to Hudson. At first, I had no idea what Hudson is. I know like the Hudson River's a thing. So it must lead up. up the river. And I, I we turned up in this town. And I was a bit like, what is this place? Like sometimes American towns we? have really weird energy. Like even for I know like in the UK we have weird towns, yeah. but like American towns it's like ju- Western vibes. It? Ju- it just is. Even though it isn't the Wild West, yeah. I'm looking at like it's just in. You know, you see the flag with uh, house and mm. flag out the front, and just like everything that's really quiet and abandoned still feels like a set. Yeah. Like, every, all Americans are NPCs. Apologies. They just some of the things <laughs> that we overhear Americans saying are just ridiculous. I'm like, like you're not real to NPCs. Yeah. And then it was like, I was like, oh, it's kind of weird. I was like, nice because everyone's there and then we took this like to go to the wedding we took we were like escorted in uh, school buses to go to the which again also a set like school buses aren't real also massive and then i got over to this like homely estate where the wedding was and i was like oh i get it overlooking a lake absolutely beautiful and then it's it's september but that part of America is just on the edge of fall. And I say fall, fall because I think American autumn is its own brand and it's called fall. And it's yeah. like, uh, we we're almost I mean, there. Yeah. And it's like the browning of the leaves was just starting. Oh, the sun's not quite as high. I was not, I can't quite call it fall, but I, I was picturing If you were there fall. in a month, you would have... Beautiful. Everything would just be sepia tone Outrageous. Um, New York is still heinously expensive, even though I was yeah. just there. Out, out of control. It is out of control it's um i feel like my dad used to be at the mini bar in a hotel it's like don't touch anything like, <laughs> like, like you know it's like that can of yeah. m&ms which is somehow in a can you know, yeah, like, you're right. that is like seven dollars my dad was like do not touch the mini bar i felt like that in the entire city yeah I it's mean, insane i had brunch and it was six dollars to add like two slices i didn't do it but like to add two slices of halloumi plus tax plus tip that's eight dollars for halloumi do you hear yourself <laughs> It's insane. I know, I know, like James, you don't need halloumi on your yeah. avocado toast, but just mate, seeing I, it mate, on the I menu. flew out to New York and they were like six dollars for halloumi. It's outrageous. You're a joke. You're I'm really struggling. Really when I went really to this wedding up in Hudson, <laughs> yeah, I'm teasing, but like, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it is everything worldwide. I mean, come on, it's it, it's it's crazy, nuts. Anyway, welcome back. Um, I'm going stateside next week, so we're sort of doing a sort of uh, exchange at the moment, sort yeah. of coming in and out. What's what's Florida like? I've not. I've been as a kid. 
Well, um, I'll be able to tell you even better after I go again next week. Have you came before? I, I know, I'm prefacing my <laughs> sentence. Let me get in. You're saving like, the one. Am I talking to like a CNN anchor? It's like, but you've been before. <laughs> but you went last year. If you, and if you, you voted ever, for that? Uh, if, you, if you let me finish my question, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Florida. Well, so the Florida I have most recently been to and will be going to next next week is, uh, you know, it's, it's like, I would say like normal Florida and that it's not tourist Florida. And mm. that it's not like... Orlando or Miami or this is it's a town city what a town I guess about 40 minutes outside of Orlando okay called Melbourne and it's just you know not it's just one. like classic not exactly not that one but With most named, places but in America named after that one actually yes. I read the history about it um and it's you know it, it's it's if you go to the main town no building is over two stories high yeah. um because the hurricanes i guess I don't yeah know. and shout uh, out to flint and flame outdoor and are you listening oh yeah absolutely keeping your knives sharp yeah. across america yeah. uh and everyone every man wears a baseball cap a t-shirt and shorts yes every car has a boat attached to the back of it every <laughs> Just in case. Uh, there's, there's every man wears oakley's and wraparounds very trendy um, now Sorry, very, very trendy. Very, very trendy Tiffany hey. Chalamet will wear that on to Fashion Week. Week. Yeah, um, and uh, you know everyone's in flip flops, and it's kind of like, hey, how you doing? It's 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 kind of random because in a way, it's from my perception of it, experience of it, it's, everything is still very clustered into its own little community. You've got some houses here, some houses there, but like you, we didn't didn't spend that much time in like the actual central town. It mm. still felt very. There's just so much fucking space in America. It's outrageous. It's just, you know, there's just space. not like New York where everything's cramped in, but yeah. like just. Just endless bits of space. Yeah. Um, and it was hot and everywhere. Yeah, it's far south on you. My, some, my girlfriend's dad's now wife uh, struggles to eat out in Florida because she has a very allergic, very severe seafood allergy. Oh, so you, but even if you go to a kitchen and say, oh, I have a severe seafood allergy, they're just like, well, we, no. What fish sauce and everything. We're just like, we're just, we're just like, we're not going to change up the that's grill. a no man yeah it's like it's it we're all living on the coast we're in florida we, we're not yeah. going to change the grill it's just a flat no they're like no we can't promise that it's not going to yeah. get contaminated so it's like oh okay speaking of restaurants i texted you today with very exciting news <gasps> that there's a new york style bakery opening yeah two minutes from where i live and if anyone doesn't know we actually once got asked a question about what's our sort of like recording uh like protocol like what happens when the cameras go off what happens beforehand mm. which I, we should probably answer soon i don't know if we ever answered that question what happens i thought you, i thought we Someone did say us, i think like, we did answer and we said that like sometimes i rush out and sometimes i did we answer it fully i, think, I don't think we did but anyway wait we, did we, we just get read it not read it out no i don't think we ever got to the question for some reason got to it wait, wait <laughs> i feel like we're up to date on the emails have we missed it Maybe. guys I, I will actually probably i think it's worth saying at this point that we do get so many emails now that I don't think we can say that we can always cover 100% of them. I think yeah. that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. We just want to be transparent. We do our best, but if your email doesn't get read out, it's not personal. It's not personal at all. It's just that <laughs> we do struggle to keep on top of them. We will do our best. So all the best, all you can do is just keep it sharp, keep it short, and send them in. Keep it Tell relevant. Hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. But yeah, very exciting. New bagel spot opening near mm. me. Uh, I walked past it today mm. and they actually closed because they had a leak in the basement. Very exciting. But um, mm. we will go. Absolutely. We'll go. We're recording Sunday. We should go Sunday. Oh, yeah. Yes, please. You don't mind. Um, well, anyway, it's good to have you back as ever. Um, episode 94 of Pulp Kitchen. We're here. The year of our birth. 94. 94. Represent 94. It's a special, feels like a special year, uh, number for our episodes. 94, mm. the year we were born. Also, year of great films. Pulp Fiction, Shawshank. Yeah. Um, but say Forrest Gump. I mean, there are other ones. Name another movie that name another movie that came out in 1994. 
Jurassic Park's 93. That's right. Oh, God. 94. There's loads, I'm sure. Yeah, I know there are loads. Does it, I, might, I don't know. Yep. It's, not, it's too early for the game. Oh, True Lies. I like True Lies. Uh, yeah, Leon, uh, yeah. Natural Born Killers. Uh, Clear and Present Daylight. Speed. Clear and Present Danger. Danger, sorry. <laughs> Speed, yep. Yeah. Uh, interview with the Vampire. Dumb and Dumber. Oh, oh Jim Carrey's here. Dumb and Dumber, uh, Ace Ventura, and The Mask. Yeah, right, yeah. Brilliant. Lion King. Yeah. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, Aladdin, The Return of Jafar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Forrest Gump. Yeah, that's, that's a good... Yeah, and uh, that's, a, that's a good... Don Juan. Reality Four Weddings and a Funeral. The Flintstones live action. Yeah, you said Shawshank. Uh, Junior with Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh my God, yeah. Shallow Grave, Danny Paul's first film. Anyway, there you go. So yeah, 94, episode 94. And we're talking about a, a new film and a re-released film this week. Mm. Let's take it away. Okay, so just right out of the gate, I think The Nun 2 as a title is really silly. The Nun <laughs> like, 2. What do you mean The Nun 2? Yeah. The Nun 2. It sounds like a spoof with Charlie Sheen and Anna Faris. <laughs> like The Nun <laughs> 2. Scary that's movie when, 3. That's yeah. when you go colon dead reckoning or equivalent. Oh, yeah. If you, it's your second nun horror Sometimes, film. Sometimes, yeah, just calling a film two can be really cynical. I think two, calling something two is better of like a comedy. Yeah. yeah it's like, you know, Shrek 2. <laughs> Rob Schneider is yeah. the nun. Yeah, yeah, Also yeah. starring David Spade. Yeah. They're going to realise being a nun it, you know what it is, is it so easy. That sat on a uh, executive scheduling for so long as working title, The Nun, nun two. 2, that they went, when you go up to release, they thought, oh, we haven't got something else. What? Okay, let's give it Roman numerals. Yeah, yeah. Not even The Nun Part 2. Just none returns. A, a big fat number. Not two. enough films do returns, by the way. I can yeah. only think of the Mummy and Mary Poppins. The none returns would be great. And Superman. Yeah, none colon spiritual evil. Whatever you want to yeah. generic. Because yeah. the none two inherently sounds silly to say. Yeah. Anyway, the none two. I didn't see the none one. Okay. I was aware of the horror of the none from the Conjuring two. Yeah. Of which the none appears. The more you say, it, the stupider it sounds. Yeah. The Conjuring two. I actually didn't really dislike. It starts, I think, fairly interesting and then is doing what I think a lot of these popular horror franchise films do and what The Nun 2 does is they, they descend in the final act to this really action-heavy final boss thing that's neither interesting or scary. Like a video game. Do you know what? Yeah, it's like you get to the final act and the thing reaches all of their power. Oh, and no. you have to like, and it's setting things on fire and push Jedi pushing people across the wall. That's not interesting. Anyway. Like the end of, sorry to bring it up again, yeah. but It Chapter 2, do you remember? When yes, it's like, like it's really, gets like no, a, final the, boss. Yeah, final boss. We level, all have yeah. to use our powers to like, and the MacGuffin, and you've got to put it in the thing to oh, kill the God. thing. Like it stops being scary or interesting. And I've noticed a lot of the horror franchises do that. Anyway, The Nun 2 is the sequel to The Nun, which I haven't seen. I got that from the title. But the setup for The Nun 2 <laughs> is the most like the studio have asked us to make one <laughs> I've ever seen. So, you know, The Nun is back and The Nun is killing people all around Europe. And this high up man from somewhere in the Vatican who's Brilliant. eating steak on a dinner table calls in the woman who, who defeated the nun last time and goes, you're not, you're not going to believe, believe what's happening. I could, I could hear the, uh, the pitch meeting <laughs> yeah. through this whole film. He was literally like, he didn't deliver it like this, but it, the, the, the byline of the undertone script is, you're not going to believe this. Do you remember that last year when you defeated that evil nun? There was that huge spectacle exorcism and you did a bloody good job with it. Well, you're not going to believe this. She's only bloody back. 
They should call it the number seven. And we thought you were just so good at dealing with it last time. Do Would it again. Would you mind just do, do it, it again? <laughs> Which is just like the studio saying, hey, that nun film yeah. that made a bunch of money from that other spin-off. What, why is she back? Just come back. Reasons. Just, just You can't ever really kill a demon. Yeah. You know, you just send them away. I was just like, really? Is that it? Um, and, you know, oh, plot. <laughs> it's kill, the nuns killing people. It's after this sort of eye goggle thing. And, Google Glass. And all of the scary bits take place in the same bit underneath an old building. And after the third time, I'm like, oh, all the scary scenes going to be set when someone walks into this very dark, abandoned <laughs> thing with old furniture. Yes. Like with um, a lot of these films, I'm not the first person to say this. It's not scary if I popped a balloon behind your ear yeah. and made you jump. And after the third, third little scare sequence, you just see them coming. Yeah. And uh, you know what, was so, what I was thinking about? You know, we saw Barbie for like 30 minutes in mute. Yeah just by a happenstance of yeah. like filming something in a cinema. And we sort of got to deconstruct it in a way for its purely visual merit and yeah. sort of see it almost like a storyboard. I really believe if you muted the nun and you didn't have that like screechy violin and just like loud bangs, the film would completely lose its power. Yeah, It really would. It's and a really good test. And I know I'm not the first person to say that it's just loud noises being shouted at you, but when you're actually looking at what's being done, nothing scary or anything that is scary is, is just repeated again and again. The only, the only scare trick this film has is is to have a character's face with an all black shadow room and the camera pans and when it pans back, the nun's face is behind them yeah. and it goes, Bleh! <laughs> and that's And that's literally the only trick the nun two has. And the first time you're like, ooh. And it does it three or four times of like the seven or eight times it does it in the film. And you're like, is that it? And there's other times it does it with a pan. And, it, and like the film doesn't pan a lot. So when the camera does this really dramatic pan, I'm like, I wonder why it's panning so hard. So when yeah. it pans back, the nun's there going, <laughs> and that's unfortunately it. It is just therefore really, really boring. I was none too impressed. Yeah. I was yeah. none too scared. Brilliant. How much fun did you have? None. There you go. Twice. <laughs> and um, that's it. You know what? I think if you're after that kind of scare, go and rewatch the 2012 Daniel Radcliffe Woman in Black film. Yeah. I actually thought that was uh, yeah, actually quite too. solid with um, Kieran Hines. Yeah, good atmosphere and just a great... Uh, when he goes to that house and mm. the, the woman in black is like watching him from above, I just thought the whole of it was deeply unnerving I, and scary. Yeah, I had a really good experience in the cinema with that. I went to a cinema screen that was packed and mm. it was a very vocal, reactive audience, which would sound annoying, but actually... Works. It really heightened it. And uh, there's bits in that woman in black that's I've always still thought I think of creepy like when he first gets to the house he just looks out the window and she's just in the garden yeah just like staring at him yeah. I just find that really creepy and in the house when he walks up yeah she's just like a face there and as soon as he's in the house you just feel absolutely what, horrified what was scarier the nun too or tar tar didn't because you know what I'm, I'm saying like, say, tar I felt has that more ghostly by tar. unsettling and yeah. Tar the haunting ha of the soul. And literally, Tar has a, a ghostly apparition that kind of oh, haunts yeah. the and thing. And all the house scares in Tar. Yeah. yeah. Tar's scarier. Yeah. And just way more interesting. But it's not a horror film. Yeah. It's just, just, it's just, it's got, it's got nothing to say. It's just there. I, and, and again, the whole, I'll reiterate it. This fight that don't, when you're trying to like go towards the final sequence, don't final boss your villain. No. And, it, and also now they're doing the sort of alien thing where like you're giving me the backstory and telling me everything about your monster yeah. and showing your monster from the first five minutes that the illusion is lost. Yeah. I also think that with horror, CGI should just be kept way away from it. Mm. I found that with Evil Dead Rise. Like the more that... 
<clears throat> CGI becomes involved and distorted voices and they try yeah. and, and I'm just like I just immediately know it's fake whereas yeah. if you can do it with f f actual prosthetics or actual physical effects yeah. um, or uh, I mean like yeah, I mean, that's what like, some of the stuff in Hereditary is pretty creepy because I yeah. know I'm not looking at an illusion. Even in uh, Insidious, which really started off this whole, the first Insidious, which started off this whole like uh, franchising of horror, like this sort of, mm. you know, cookie cutter horror experience. I remember in the first Insidious film, you've got the red faced man who's like the right. main thing that's stalking the kid. And then like two thirds into that movie, they reveal this greater evil. When if you've seen it, you know, which is the old woman that would follow Patrick Wilson's character. And this mother was showing the photographs that she started taking. She noticed in every photograph, the old lady was getting closer and closer oh, well, to that's her cool. son. And it's a really, really good scene. I encourage you to watch it. And in the end of Insidious, like, yes, the red face monster is there, but this second really, really creepy idea for a villain sneaks up on you. And it is very quiet, quite bang, but it's sort of like, oh, like that second bit really caught my attention. Mm. That concept of a demon that can only be seen in photographs, like getting close to your son, I think is a really scary one. And then in the following in Citizens, I haven't seen them all. They go on to explain the old woman and have her there and ruin it. I'm like, you, you had a thing that was interesting and scary and you've just shown me everything about it. Mm. Anyway, I've gone on a bit of a rant. The film's a bit boring and very uninteresting. That's The Nun too. If you had more fun than none, uh, please email into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Uh, I would be intrigued to know if anyone liked it, yeah. if anyone enjoyed it. And not just based on your review, I'm just sort of giving a cursory glance across the reviews and stuff. I just don't... It's made a lot of money for... for the, yeah, you know, it's, it's done well. Um, but yeah, let us know what your Do thoughts. Do you think a nun is like a very... Uh, as a symbol internationally is like known. It's like all corrupted. Something that's meant to be thought pure and angelic and, and wise. Yeah, it's also... Now it's also like... Quite an easy concept to grasp onto. Yeah, there's also like the threat of the female, but in a female... Uh, the, the, the female body and the female persona being sort of rendered in a very mysterious way. Nuns you know, depersonalized yeah. under the habit, if you will. Um, but it's not sister act, is it? No, <laughs> no. Well, there you go. So let's talk about Stop Making Sense, which is a the 40th anniversary re-release of what is regarded as the greatest concert movie of all time. And we don't talk about music films a lot, on this show but we have mm. talked about last year we reviewed moon age daydream which was the yeah. david bowie uh documentary and the year before that we did get back the beatles documentary which is actually funny because if someone was to, you know point blank say to me what are your top three artists of all time i would say mm. beatles bowie and talking heads oh wow, so we're you. very very aptly we're three now three years yeah, yeah they're bringing me to, to stop making sense now and anyone who has listened to the show regularly will know that when we often get asked that question of best cinematic experience, I will talk about having seen Stop Making Sense at uh, uh, the Duke of York's Theatre in Brighton in like 2015 with some mates, late night screening, seeing it for the first time. And uh, by the end, I mean, by halfway through, we were all dancing in the aisles of the theatre. Nice. And it was just such a wonderful experience. And I've always wondered how I can top that. Um, and I spoke a bit about it last week on the show or, or two weeks ago, I can't remember, about I wanted to uh, get tickets to the IMAX to see this, this re-release, right? And I couldn't, and I, and I was really down about it. But lo and behold, the day before, some tickets had clearly been returned, and I was able to snatch two tickets wow. to go see it in IMAX with my brother, uh, which I went to see last night. Now, some of you might be thinking, what the hell has stopped making sense? I've never heard of it. Let me just explain it to you. So, concert movie made uh, and directed by Jonathan Demme, who is a really, really 
good, accomplished director, and most people will know for going on to direct Silence of the Lambs, Philadelphia, but he also did interesting work like Rachel Getting Married, Melvin and Howard, Married to the Mob. Um, and like I said, it is regarded as the greatest concert film of all time. And it's a collaboration and, you know, it is a gig, a concert of Talking Heads, the band. James, Talking Heads? Uh, no, not really. Not even a song? Off the top of my head, no. Anyway, I'll give you context. <laughs> yeah. So, and to, to, you know, stop making sense of stopping sense. Talking Heads were this band, post-punk band, came in the late 70s and, you know, reached their fame in the kind of the mid-80s as this uh, post-punk art rock uh, group that delivered really, I, I just think, really great music. And a lot of people really liked it. Took a very interested, slightly intellectual approach to music and, uh, you know, worked with the likes of Brian Eno and... You know, uh, David Byrne, as, as a cultural figure, as an artistic figure, who's the you know the lead singer of of, of Talking Heads, is a is a really interesting guy, and he he's done theatre, and he won an Oscar for writing the score for Last Emperor, and um, it's it's you know it was clear that when they made this film it was a you know good collaboration with Demi, and so what happened is Jonathan Demi went to see uh, them touring, and this was like in the height of Talking Heads' fame and and and, and prowess. And he said, I want to make this into a movie. And they said, okay, let's do it. And they worked together visually and artistically to create this, this movie. And, and 40 years later, A24 have picked it up and restored it meticulously into 4K. And it's being re-released around the world. And, by the, and I think by the time this episode comes out, it, 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 there are more screenings at the IMAX showing. Nice. And there are more, they will be across the country and across the world being released into cinemas as well. So if you do get a chance to go and see this on the big screen... And I and I will say this from the get go. Obviously, as a as a Talking Heads fan, this this film appeals to me massively. But I think if you're a fan of music, if you're a fan of the the intersection between music, cinema, and theatre as well, this would be mm. for you. Um, and I hope it doesn't come across too much like Man in the Pub, three pints in, being like, "Love this band in the '80s," and they brought that movie out again. I think there's also quite a lot of IMAX re-releases coming out right yes. now because you've had the, they're still showing Oppenheimer and a lot of them. Yes, but because there's nothing new out and a lot of films are being delayed. What could be a benefit to a lot of people mm. is the re-releasing of great films in IMAX and not just things that are planned but I mean they will bring back the yes. things that they have actual film results like all your known films will come yeah. and loads of older and films and I, I, I found with watching this it was a really interesting experience seeing a film that was not purpose made for IMAX yeah because um, obviously we're so used to seeing your Nolans and, and things like that yeah. it was shot for scale but there is something about seeing a film regardless of you know there was not shot for for something of this size being blown up that big which yeah. is still amazing uh, another thing that people might have recognized culturally um sorry stop making sense still is referenced many times it's iconic for a scene where or a scene a, a, a number where david Byrne reappears on stage in a huge gray suit and sort of dances in it uh there's a Fred Armisen did a sketch about it for Documentary Now, and the 1975 did a whole music video meticulously spoofing every single thing. I'm not a 1975 person, but I know many people are, so I thought I'd mention it. Um, anyway, I feel like when we uh, draw such lines in the sand, people write in. No, yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I mumbled under my breath like four weeks ago that I thought the most overrated music artist out did and you I, actually say that i didn't yeah, catch that I, george exactly i mumbled it under my breath wow and i got like two dms and we mm. someone mentioned it in an email wow i, I think I'll, i think i'll cut what i just said because i think it's gonna happen it's again. Gonna, people are gonna come after me uh Anyway, I'll beep it. But I wanted to talk about it because, a, so A, directed by Jonathan Demi, really important. But, and also, we don't talk about concert films a lot. Some people call it a documentary. It is a concert film. And it's regarded so highly. Anyway, I go to see it. I watch it in IMAX. Mm. I sit down. 
a James. I fucking loved it. Oh, I was beaming from amazing. ear to ear. Should I go and see it? Bathing. If you can get tickets to go see an IMAX, think it I, be... would, I would be really interested to see. Are there non-IMAX screenings going? Yeah. I can't do that. Yeah, of course. But what I think, think if you get the good? opportunity to see this film in IMAX, really? there is no better way of seeing it. Yeah. I think that it will be interesting to see what you think, not being a Talking Heads fan, yeah. not knowing the songs. It's not a narrative film. You're yeah, watching yeah. a gig. But I think, and for reasons I'll explain, it works so well on the big screen. And I think it's just like pure electricity. I mean, I love the music anyway. And, I, and all day today, I've just been like on cloud nine, just yeah. you know, listening to, I listen to it on the way here. It's just fantastic. Nice. So one of the reasons I think it works so well is that everything about the presentation of the film is clean, deliberate, precise, and focused and and so sharp it's that i remember reading about talking heads and that when when they were starting as a band what they did is they wrote they decided all the things they didn't want to do with music and the, one of the, like they stripped out all the junk they didn't want to um, do out of habit or do make or do accidentally so one thing they did is they took out all cliches they made they they never wanted to say the word baby in a song or mm. ooh la la or, or took out all these things that are used in other songs yeah and that, so that's why when you listen to the Talking Heads song, it's like the lyrics are very particular and very precise and not imitable, you know, mm. um, um, if that's the right thing. Yeah, it's, it's imi- its own thing. It is its, its own thing, thing, absolutely. And what Jonathan Demme has done and what the genius of Stop Making Sense is that he's been able to render cinematically almost the equivalent. He's been able to take what is a live event, a live concert, which, you know, in its essence is chaotic, raucous, sweaty all i mean there's a lot of sweat in this film but all over the place and he's been able to through great cinematic language i'll talk about has been able to cut through the noise and give you a really sharp precise amplified heightened musical experience um there are just talking like visually so the way it begins is that the the stage is an unmade stage. I'm talking there are, you know, scaffolding in the background, there's mm. rigging, it's completely exposed. And the camera follows a pair of white shoes walking on to the center of the stage and then a boombox is placed and the the, 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 t- the tape is played. The camera tracks up and you just see a microphone and then David Burns' f- head appears into the frame and starts playing acoustically Psycho Killer. And he plays that song and gets it going. And then for the next number... The ba- Tina Weymouth, the bass player, comes on and join him, joins him. And then for the next number, the, the um, Jerry Harrison on guitar comes on. And in the background, little by little, slowly and with purpose, the grips are just building the set bit by bit. And over the course of about the first six songs, the stage is being assembled around you. And actually, it continues to be built throughout the, 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 the whole gig. It's only a 90-minute film. So that by, by one of the numbers towards the end, there's literally like domestic furniture on the stage. There's a lamp, there's an armchair. The backdrop comes down um, and it kind of creates this kind of narrative. But um, uh, so that, sorry. I'm, so in terms of the framing, it's, it's that pre- um, precise. And what, and all the, all the clothing is very detailed. You know, it's, I'm saying stuff that in terms of stage design and concert design is probably taken for granted now. But seeing it kind of in this 40 year old time bubble is really interesting. So all of them were dressed in very simple gray clothing, whether it's like sweat gear or um, just suits uh, to give it the great focus. And then when you shoot that with the camera down the, down the right down the middle and you have very precise lighting and very precise shadows and very deliberate spacing of people, it makes fantastic visual frames. 
to the point where there were individual shots. I thought I could just pause that right there and look mm. at that. It's so powerful. And I'm like, that is so clean as an image for a concert, which you associate with me. I mean, compare it to the, do you remember the footage of um, Freddie Mercury at Live Aid with all like the yeah. Pepsi ki- the drinks yeah, yeah, and the yeah, stuff? Yeah. Like, forget that. This is so deliberate. And um, each individual song is shot with like a different cinematic language. So during Life During Wartime, which is one of the songs, it's tight close up, lots of uplit, dark shadows to distort the face mm. and creates this great illusion. And when, it sh- when, he, when he shoots the bass player, Tina Way with her hair is like going across the camera, but the, the, the frame is fixed. Whereas um, in one, when he does Once in a Lifetime, it's all one shot, almost exactly the whole thing, holds it on one shot. Um, in um, Swamp, that he there's direct address to the camera and this bright red light behind it. So every single uh, number, Demi is shooting it in a different language. Um, what he also does is great, great eye for moments of humor and fun interaction between the band members. Like the the amount of fun that they are having on stage is so infectious. You've got band members dancing with each other, interacting, looking at each other, winking, having a little joke, running around the stage, but all in a way that is so well done. So as an as an aesthetic approach to making a film about music, it's really, really interesting. Mm. Um, I think also it what I noticed is that in the editing, the gaps between each song got shorter and shorter and shorter so in the in the third act as it were and you could you could actually draw with a pencil the the act marks in this film and there is a beginning a middle and an end and the third act is where burn comes on stage in the huge suit and i was like they are cutting so quickly towards the end to give it this sense of pace that Mm. you can't help but just feel kind of swept up by this music it's wall-to-wall music yeah there's also this very deliberate thing where they barely show the audience. They show the audience a little bit as at a distance at the beginning, but at the end, when you're in the final song, Cross-Eyed and Painless, and you're cutting between all the activity on the stage, Demi then cuts from the stage seamlessly to members of the audience dancing. And it's this great idea of like this ensemble piece that the audience are part of the band as well. So they're like withheld a little bit until the end. Exactly. It's almost like they are the last part of the band. That's probably in a way to sort of, you're the audience for most of it, but towards the end it's almost to get you to join in with the rest of them. And honestly, my TikTok today was full of, a bit like I was in Brighton when I watched it, like full of people getting up and dancing Mm -hmm. in the last act. Full screening? In, sorry in your screening was not it full? i mean well a full yeah absolutely full in my screening yeah. and a real cross-section of people of ages and and i saw you posted a bang slap bang in the middle <sighs> on our instagram story at yeah pop kitchen podcast uh where you are and I yeah he's got good seats, he's great seats. Yeah. and honestly if the if the you know the imax is so vertically yeah there's challenged there's no really floor steep. space but i guarantee no. if there was more floor space more people would have got up and danced everybody mm clapped after a song because you it seemed tentatively at first because i think people were a bit shy but like i know i'm clapping for a film but by the end the people were hooping and hollering and so was i because you it feels strange not to and the fact is it uh, it you you you're listening to music i think i think the way i thought about it is this is that you are listening to excellent music executed by a band who are at the height of their powers Mm captured in captured like really by a director who is at a point in his career it, yeah, yeah at, a, at a point in his career when he was really uh flexing his creativity and trying something new and just sitting there in that presence is amazing now i do realize i'm at the risk of over intellectualizing this because part of this is just shut up and listen to the music <laughs> which it absolutely can do but i had such a great time in the presence of it and 
I loved seeing the scale of it, Brandon. It wasn't so. Mm. It, remi- it made me think that with films you love, it doesn't matter. They're not shot for IMAX. You can see. I would love to see Before Sunset on IMAX. Yeah, because you are just noticing little details. Mm. Um, and I think it, it's just got that fun, propulsive, kinetic energy. And I think that approach that, that, that like I said, that that cuts through the noise that De- that Demi has about this clean focus. It's a cl- it's an artistic collaboration between him and the band. I say it's with Jonathan Demi, but like. It's 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 a collaboration, and I think that's why it stands the test of time mm. as a fanta- as the greatest concert film of all time. I would, if you have time to go see it in IMAX. I've, I mean, I'm very much sold. I mean, guys, if you've not been sold, you, I mean, I'm, I hope I am selling because I realize this completely. Is, I realize this is niche, but what was great is that it's you know, Talking Heads are a you know reasonably you know famous band. Yeah, but it, that was great being sat. I was sat next to a guy who's probably in his sixties, and he was yeah. singing along like me. Um, and each in what I what's another thing I love I think it will win you over because there were songs that I didn't like but when I saw this for the first time yeah I was then completely won over Swamp in particular is a song that if you hear it out of context doesn't make any I sense I found with music I've listened to albums where a song is very much lost on me until mm. I either watch a documentary about it or yeah. see the music video and yeah. I'm like oh it actually didn't weirdly come across fully in the audio or that very yeah. much like in a sequence in an album but that's because it, like that's what music videos and visual stuff is there for is that stickability yeah. to create a contextual relationship um, Pink Floyd I always found that like certain songs were yeah. lost on me for years until I really understood them and that's I was it. like oh mm. it's genius anyway it, I say this that if you get a chance to go see it if you love music you'll like it if you love Talking Heads why haven't you seen it already but yeah. do not do not miss this if you like Talking Heads or just a fan of music anyway do not miss this opportunity He's to see pleading with you. <laughs> um, and look I understand if, if you don't like the band or, or it's just not for you it, it, whatever but I I I'm just ex- I'm excited to see it again yeah. because because I didn't know I was going to get the, these IMAX tickets. I'm booked. We've booked the entire front row of one of the screenings at the Prince Charles uh, with me and my mates. Oh, you're going again? I'm going again. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, wow. because I didn't know I was going to get these IMAX tickets. Oh, nice. And I thought, you know what? I don't mind at all. I'm yeah. really looking forward to having fun with my mates. I just hope we can move a bit and sing along a bit yeah, because it sometimes feels a bit restrained like to see in the cinema. Yeah. Um, yeah, James, I would be really interested if you were to see Like, it's only 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have a look. I'll have a look later and see if I can get tickets because you very much sold me on it. I believe you. <laughs> can I add one also interesting caveat that yeah, happened? So um, one thing that was great about seeing it and these, this particular screening is that they were adding on a live stream from the Toronto Film Festival where for the first time in 21 years, Talking Heads reunited to be in the same room with each other for a Q&A about the film. So Talking Heads had a very sort of acrimonious breakup towards the end of the 80s, I think, or maybe early 90s. And, you know, David Byrne left the band, and you know, but obviously he was the creative driving force of it. Um, and they kind of went on. And, and, and over the past 30 years, it's been one of those things. It's like the band, they've never reunited. The only time they were all together again was, for, was once in 2002 when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And if you look at clips from that, it's very awkward and stagey. And, you know, there was a lot of resentment amongst that group. However, time heals all wounds. Tensions have thawed out. It, but I mean, even only recently, you know, some of the band members were writing autobiographies and sort of, you know, slacking off other people in it. But... One of the great things was to see them all together in, in one room at, for a Q&A session with Spike Lee. However, as nice as it was to see them all together, and they did share a laugh, and they did talk about their love of, of cinema and their love of, um, of sorry, of, 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 the, of the film, I would say the Q&A was a disaster <laughs> because, well, what happens when you... Th- th- sorry, the, this Q&A was taking place in an IMAX theatre in Toronto, right? right? So the audience are all there, yeah. and they've just watched the film. What happens if you take... 
four people who are now in their late 60s, early 70s, who haven't spent a lot of time with each other in the past 20 years, put them in a room full of 200 people just yeah. vertically staring it's at you. It's quite a like, lot. Yeah. Moderated by Spike Lee. Look, Spike Lee, I, you know, good directors, made some great, great films. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Do the right thing. Wonderful film. He's like 70 now. He is not the most articulate person to have moderating a session. And there were so many awkward pauses. Spike Lee would do this thing where he would go, target head, so how did you find the movie? <laughs> and you can see the band members being like, uh, and nobody wanted to talk over the other because it was clear that they had like put the past behind them and nobody wanted to be like the loudest voice or answering all the questions. And then he'd be like, and then they would start talking and Spike Lee would go, yeah, man, Bernie Worrell, give it up for Jonathan Demi, everybody clap, okay. And Tina, what was your favorite song? Like that. And, <laughs> and, and then, of course, you cut to these band members who were in their late 60s and 70s now and they were like, well, um, the thing was, what we realized um, back in, in 80, was it 83 or was it 84? I think it was 84. And honestly, a couple of moments were like, okay, okay, Nan, it's time for your dinner. <laughs> you know, let's, let's get you to bed now, my goodness. And there was a slight like taking away of the veneer of, of uh, the illusion that we'd just seen this wonderful concert film and then we're seeing them like gray haired and a bit doddery with Spike Lee who was also seemingly a bit doddery just saying like and oh it was all over the place they had like live streamed questions come in and, and Spike Lee would be like this question's from uh, Barry in Long Island Strong Island represent hey what do you like the what's your why'd you guys last so long the music is so great and then like Tina Weymouth, the bassist, completely misheard the question. She went, no, we're much less like blues. We're more like jazz. <laughs> and I, I, everyone in the audience was laughing. We were laughing at this sort of derailment of this moment. We were, you know, Everyone was so excited to see the band reunite. And it just went completely <laughs> off the rails. Anyway, it finished and everyone just laughed. But that was just like a funny uh, postscript. And I thought I'd mention it because Spike Lee did it as well. Um, anyway, that film... As I just said, it's stop making sense. If you do, if you're convinced, if I've convinced you to go see it and you fancy giving it a try, let me know what you think. Let us know what you think to uh, hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. I saw this interview that went viral with Spike Lee. Uh, you know the year that Green Book won. Oh, I love it. I know exactly <laughs> the bit you're talking about. <laughs> well, yeah. they asked, I think he'd won an Oscar for. He's talking to Colin Patterson from BBC News. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he goes. They asked him like he's, he's clutching an Oscar. What did he win for? Best. Director? He won. He know. I think he won Screenplay? best screenplay for Black Klansman. Right. Yeah. And yeah. they were like, um, they, and what do you think? Of <laughs> what Green do you think Book? of Green Book? And he went, are you British? Yeah. Are you guys British? Yeah. Let's just say, it wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he finds it so <laughs> funny. He's like, not my cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> um, Spike oh. Lee is always very stylish though. Every time I yeah, see him, I'm always like, man, great, great fits. Yeah. Icon he's got an iconic silhouette. You could spot him from a silhouette. Yeah. yeah. Not so great as a moderator though. <laughs> Actually, sorry, there is a, one last thing. There was, the relevance of Spike Lee being there is because Spike Lee directed and produced American Utopia, which was David Byrne's second slash most recent concert film in right. 2020, which is also very, very good. But Stop Making Sense is iconic. There we go. Guys, there you go. So guys, it's that part of the episode where we read out your emails, emails from the sirens. And this week we have emails, well, 
what James, what haven't I said? You can remember, guys, you can send your emails into hello at polkitchenpodcast.com, just like Bennett has. Bennett, friend of the show, Bennett, who's write, written in many times in a fantastically, impeccably formatted email. We've as got bold, ever. we've got italics, we've got that's it. We've got also got faded sort of you know subscript near the bottom. Hi guys, I love the work you've been putting out lately. Thank, Thank you, you for the latest strike episode and for the shout out therein. I appreciate therein. Mm. That's a good use of mm. word there. I appreciate how you've used your platform to disseminate information on the strikes and why they matter. Today, I was doing some dishes and since I was out of a new episode to listen to, I went all the way back and listened to your Doom Part 1 episode. Nice. Oh yeah, that was early days. Yeah. I've been thinking about this film a lot how, and now that Part 2 has been delayed and I was wondering, first question, to each of you, when talking about a film based on a book, does the book matter? Why or why not? He goes on to say, I used to think that the books did matter a lot because I grew up a Harry Potter fan, mm -hmm. but Dune part one forced me to reassess this point of view. My opinion now is that the book doesn't matter at all when discussing the qualities of the film because these two artistic mediums are entirely different and serve audiences differently. When discussing it with my friends who all love Dune part one, what I heard was, well, if you read the books, you'd know I hate actually so when people annoying. do that yeah and my response was always well if the movie requires that i do homework to enjoy it it's not a good film it's the same thing that when we did the marvel thing when we were like the multiverse is killing the mcu and people yeah. were like oh well it's, it's all like that in the comics we're like well, we're not talking about the comics are we no it was this clone wars for star wars as, as well no no there was also this like, uh, was yeah. you've oh, made well. the point a few times yeah. <laughs> um, um i think if an adaptation caters to the reader and not to the viewer it is serving the wrong audience this is something i think the harry potter filmmakers understood even when they split deathly hallows into two parts to that end if a filmmaker is adapting a book to screen do you think it is more important to prioritize being true to the book or to make a good film it's always a pleasure to email you too. I hope you enjoyed reading this one. Also, as someone who worked in the industry uh, in LA, if you have any strike-related questions, please let us know. Um, happy to connect you both. All the best, Bennett. If I may jump in, sorry. Please. Well, if I may jump in, uh, this was the subject of my dissertation. <laughs> well, my dissertation module, I should say. So the, my, my final year uh, of, of studying film, we, we covered the whole topic of adaptation. And I, I, absolutely, the, the, this idea of being true to the book has run through the discussion of adaptation studies. It's the fidelity argument. It's like this idea of should a film be be true to the book, and of course, it, it, of course, it shouldn't. Yeah. Um, I, 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 a film, you know, the, as you say, Bennett, they're completely different mediums, and all that does is limit the uh, the film's possibility. There have been fantastic adaptations of books that have no, almost bear, bear no relation yeah. to the original. There Will Be Blood is based on a book. I was going to say, films that you don't even know are based on books exactly. that really seem to graduate from the text. Yeah. Not disrespect it, but it's like, it's taken that and it's clearly gone to do its own thing. Whereas I say Harry Potter, as you said, is a much yeah. more one-to-one uh, -one adaptation. And one thing we looked at with adaptation studies is like, you've got to start to think about it in a different way, which is, I can't remember, there was one like famous critic, academic who wrote about this, but it's like, we think of the uh, the idea as being originating in the original text, the book, right? Mm. And then it's like the film comes after it. It's like, no, the idea is this sort of centralized thing. And it has been expressed in one medium yeah. as the, the book. And the film is another expression of that centralized idea. TV show also. TV show, musical, poem, poster. But then I could go on. The Game of Thrones people get probably most annoyed and the people who haven't read the books even more annoyed is because Game of Thrones starts fairly, yeah. not one-to-one, -one, but like, you know, on the same beats. And then I think we realized that it had to depart because of yeah. the pace of writing it splits off and, and for the worst uh i think no i think um i think the book i think june sorry june really feels like it. it's not that i've read the book but from what i've seen of like 
its content, it seems to have really like jumped off the page in that sense in its own cinema. Yeah, I think so. But I think it's also got a lot of plot to get through. It's a bit yeah, plotty. It is families and dynamics. Um, so yeah, free yourselves, uh, filmmakers, and engage with books in a different way. James. This next one is from Simon, who writes in and says, "Hello, chaps. Big fan of the show. Especially enjoy your games at the end. After hearing your latest episode, where you tried to guess non-sequel superhero films, I noticed quite a few films you didn't mention. Firstly, is my super ex-girlfriend." starring Uma Thurman and Luke Wilson. I completely have not thought about that film. Isn't it? Because it's trash. Yeah, it's not great. But like, yeah, it was there. But like, is that a superhero film? Uh, yeah, it is. Is Hancock a superhero film? Oh, well, that's another go. one that was in well, the do, comments. Does a superhero film have to be attached to an existing IP to be superhero? Does it mm. have to be based on a comic? Comic. Yeah. yeah. Um, carry on. Um, Secondly, the James Gunn directed Super, yeah. and also quite frankly awful superhero movie, which would have made a brilliant cast as Countdown, by the way. Uh, but lastly, as you mentioned, Fan Forstick. I was actually going to say, I think somebody else might have commented this or whatever, but do you remember that film Push? Oh my with God. Chris with Evans and Dakota Fanning. Hounsou as yeah. well. Yeah. Like pre Marvel kind of like weird. They could push things. That was like the. the you remember Heroes, the TV show? That, I think, was like that era of superheroes God. where we were starting to get interested in people with powers. Yeah. You know? The actual, the pre-08 superhero era time. is actually quite an interesting, yeah. uh, interesting phenomenon. God, push. Uh, but lastly, as you mentioned Fan Stick, I feel I have to mention Chronicle, which is Josh yes. Trank's film yeah. that arguably landed him the aforementioned train wreck of a movie. Keep up the good work, boys. All the best. Simon, set from my Nokia 8110. Yes, the one Neo uses in The Matrix. Chronicle was... Um, one of those uh, found footage films yeah. that you're like, why is this being filmed? Yeah. Sometimes, why is this found like footage? when this guy when he's like a David Hard character is being abused by his dad and he's like filming himself crying. Like, yeah. there's no way this would be filmed. But they did do this cool thing where they were holding the camera up with their kinetic powers. Yes, yeah. I always thought that was that was quite cool. But a lot of stuff I'm like, yeah. come on, this is, no. Young Michael B. Jordan in there too. Uh, yeah, and. The other guy. (laughs) Um, Next up is uh, Daniel, who writes in and says, Hello, lads. I've been listening to you for the past two months while I'm out on my break from university and working as a delivery driver. I can easily say that you have helped me make the job so much more fun and drag a lot less. Unless you are dragging in the Tokyo Drift kind of sense of the word (laughs) as a delivery driver, which I'd love to see. I am an architecture student going into the final year of my master's, and as I plan to write my dissertation, I would like to share the premise and perhaps get your opinion on it at the same time. I'll try to keep it short. More films than ever are being made to symbolize the contemporary world we live in, focusing on certain themes, whether it be the impending doom of the climate crisis, uh, symbolized in Don't Look Up, Mm -hmm. or the environmental destruction we are seeing uh, in Avatar. Allegories such as these are being used so much more, and I believe that is these films with hidden meanings and connotations of the climate crisis can be used as a catalyst to spark user research in the correct environment. Okay. For example, I watched The Hunt for Red October in which the Soviets developed a new type of sub- submarine and because of that impact of that film on me, I then researched how submarines work. Without that film, I would not have found this out. The film became a catalyst for research. Okay. I, int- I intend to present a film list al- along- alongside my reading list in-, in the architecture curriculum and maybe in the future it will branch off into other subjects, but it could act as a non-formal way to teach the importance of the climate crisis in education on all education levels. Interesting. I would like to know, in your opinion, uh, and uh, your opinion of this theory, and if you have any film suggestions for films that have either allegory, hidden connotations, symbolism, or metaphor for the climate crisis. Sorry for the long email. Look forward to your reply. Crikey, that's a 
bloody academic seminar written in there. Um, I'd love to think. The only I think Lord of the Rings is a real like anti-industrialization of like the kind of protection of the countryside and oh yeah that's a good one yeah destroying the pastoral everything Um, Um, I'm trying to think climate a lot a lot of them are Pocahontas no it's like the day after tomorrow yeah exactly (laughs) uses the language of an action movie to I guess I would say the only this isn't a metaphor but a film that touched on the climate crisis in a completely different way was. the film First Reformed, which is the Paul Schrader film, uh, came out a few years ago. Really good. Yeah. With um, Ethan Hawke as a really tormented pastor in in um, uh, in, in in America. And Amanda Seyfried comes. To, she's one of his congregation. Comes to him and says, "Like uh, my husband's just is an environmental terrorist, really, or an environmental protester. Mm. He's just been released from prison, but he has such dark thoughts about the environment. Would you would you come and speak to him?" And Ethan Hawke goes and visits him, and they have this kind of. 15 minute duologue about the state of the planet and you know ethan Hawke coming at it from a you know religious spiritual point of view theological point of view and and her and amanda seyfried's husband talking in a very sort of you know matter of fact cynical environmental way um and then that kind of that thread then like affects ethan Hawke's character for the rest of the film i don't know how that invites user research but like that talks about climate change in a completely like reframed way. I always think greed is a really, like human greed is a really good one. Like there will be blood and like even film I haven't seen yet, which is Killers of the Flower Moon. That's yeah. going to be about yeah. like taking things Rapacious and greed. greed. And that, that deep, insatiable appetite Ugh. to conquer and consume. You know what I'm going to say? Dark waters. Oh yeah. Again, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like a symbol, but like, I, as I've said this before, the that film always, just has, yeah. always, has basically like enshrined in my mind. It really helps. That film characterizes greed and sort of corporate excess. violence and corporate excess and corporate unaccountability. Or Wall Street, even. Yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't have an environment. But Dark no Waters, you see the, the, invite, like, the cost of it. Yeah. You know, like, there's more cost in that. Um, effect of corporations on everyone, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit it's a big question. Uh, this last one is from Finn who says, "Hey you too. Finn here, a listener from Switzerland. I've seen clips on your of your games on my TikTok for you page and liked you two from the start, but haven't listened to an episode until recently. Now, I'm listening through a lot. I'm sending this email after the Tarantino bonus and it reminded me of going to the cinema a few months ago because they showed Pulp Fiction again, mm. like some special screening where people can vote for movies they want to see again on the big screen. Yeah. I hadn't seen it for ages and my reaction was the same as George. There are films that I'm really sad I couldn't see in cinemas because I wasn't old enough or even alive when they came out like Pulp Fiction, Whiplash or the Lord of the Rings films. So my question what film you missed out on would you like to see in the cinemas? I brought this up earlier. Sending locks and love uh, uh, to the UK Finn, von Meinmann iPhone gesendet. <laughs> well, we've recorded something that will come out I think next week. A bonus for future. Yes. Right? Yes. It's not bonus for, for, for next for next Friday. Friday. It's not the, this Friday coming for next Friday. Yeah. Uh, where we talk about how we would have loved to have seen Alien and or Aliens in the big screen. Uh, in the big screen. Recently came out on IMAX. Um, re-released on IMAX. Um, obviously, my whole diatribe about Stop Making Sense just now mm. Is about my thrill of that is being able to see that film on the biggest screen possible. Yeah. Um, I do think Pulp Fiction is, is something I would have loved to have been in the theatre and just thought, what, uh, you know, what is this film Experience doing it at the moment in time as well? I mean, there's obviously like historical I mean, you, you will stuff. be you will be able to see that in cinema again. Yeah, I mean, but, but obviously, like, yeah, if you had a time machine, yes, I guess it would be interesting to go back and watch The Exorcist with a new audience. Or yeah, just go Exorcist, and see. because we did a whole thing. Yeah, yeah, and also. The uh, uh, you know the first Star Wars, I guess, just second just, Star Wars, really. 
I think Empire. reaction to Empire Strikes Back would be more yeah, profound than but it's the like first what, what would you? It's, 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 it's another way of framing that question is like, what old film would you like to see presented again mm. on the big screen? A lot of Kubrick stuff would have been amazing oh, to experience, yeah. and like to come in with one idea and leave with that impression. I just mm. think would be great. Yeah, I think any any film that has yeah tries to do something bold or new, seeing that fresh. Parasite. Yeah, true. Parasite. I really. Great I mean, show. I've only seen that film once, and I just still. I, I that was one of those v- incredibly rare, rare times when I saw it, and I was like, immediate yeah. five stars for that film. Yeah. Immediate understanding that that film is something special. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, and I do feel like even seeing like Interstellar on the bit on in, in IMAX say. felt really that special. Was a great experience, and like. Uh, at the time, seeing Force Awakens come back, yeah, absolutely, there, there was nothing like that. Yeah, you're right. That was a, that was an event. Yeah, it was a real like peak of pop culture pre-COVID. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I know obviously Brexit people, and Trump. People will probably yet. talk about Barbie, <laughs> like Barbie and Oppenheimer, but like uh, the, the the I you know I, we we I'm was, see Avengers as well. Yeah, yeah, but I think Force Awakens was there was an event yeah. that was really exciting. I have yeah. to say, even whatever happened with it, like I don't think there's been a, a, an anything near the excitement that we had for that. The no. prospect of what could come, yeah, was was crazy, and it looked really good, and it was good. The Force yeah, Awakens, the Force is, Awakens a good is good. Movie. So this is my brother's just good, my brother's movie. just shown Star Wars for the first time to um, his girlfriend. One Star Wars four, four five six, yeah, and she really enjoyed it. Yeah. She didn't. She knew about Darth Vader being the father, but of she course. didn't know about Luke and Leia. Okay. I, and I said neither did the writers when they started, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but then my brother was like, yeah, so we've got to watch um, 7, 8, 9 now. I said, oh, do you though? He was like, but The Force Awakens, George, it's so good. I'm like- Do you not, do you not go to one, two, three? No, he, they've decided that he just thinks they're just pointless. And I, I'm careful when I say this because mm. we, we've talked about the prequels before and I'm aware, especially amongst Gen Z, the prequels are- They have a- They've Held a, in a completely different regard. Yes, yeah. But can I say- I saw this film when I was cool. a child yeah. and I can tell you that even like, you know, people, oh, well, but, but you know, it's nostalgia. Yeah, even as a child, I was like, these are shite. I'm quite clear on this. There are some great all-time Star Wars moments oh, absolutely. in those very Don't terrible films. Yeah. I'm very clear. Yeah. I, I can talk romantically yeah. about individual scenes. Yeah. But when you sit down and watch them, they are shit. Yeah, I'm sorry. They, are, they, they are. are shit. And I know it's not cool to hate on the prequels, but you do... I've said this like three times on the podcast. Redo the prequels. Yeah, I know. Just yeah. wipe the same I know. Clean. There's people out there, probably the same people who think the Monsters University is great, are screaming uh, <laughs> yeah. this right now. But yeah. but I, I don't know. I said to him, I was like, Rogue One you can see because it's isolated. On its yeah, own. yeah, anytime. And you, know, you know what, actually? He was like, you know, shall I get, you know, show her Force Awakens? I was like, if you want, but I don't think you need to see it eight and nine. Just watch the first two seasons of The Mandalorian. Talia's only seen seven. You know, she's seen four, five, six, and she watched seven. And she like knew my reaction coming out of eight and then again at nine. And she can't get the will to watch them because she kind of has heard me just say it fizzles out into nothing. I guess that's fine. It's very shame. Last email from Sam who says, hello lads. It's your running correspondent here again. Yes, Do you remember Sam, Sam the runner? Running around the world. Uh, Rock it all over the... Road. I wanted to run. <laughs> I was a running. My mama said they were my magic shoes. Uh, and as requested from my last message, here is a photo of me running oh. while listening to the pod. Okay, so he's got the. Okay, so first of all, so the photo sounds attached. He's got a hat on backwards, <laughs> massive Oakleys with the red to purple hue, yeah. and then you've got a pink vest with an <laughs> over vest yeah. with a camelback yeah. sucky on there. You're- so you are not just a casual. 
weekend runner. Oh, no, he's you, a marathon runner. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know he's a marathon runner, but like you were wearing the attire of a man and you got the smartwatch on there as well. Also, with a lovely big beaming grin. A on huge your face. beaming grin. So that really does. You got the assignment perfectly. And send us your phone number just in case we want to call you. <laughs> anyway, so sorry, Sam says. Um, it's a running correspondent here again, and as requested, blah, 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 here's a photo of me running. Um, this was this running was during the London heat wave, and oh, well even done. though this was at the start of it, it really was sweltering, and good thing I had you guys to distract me. Oh, you're welcome. Sam says, I also wanted to ask a question while I'm here. I am positive this is one you might, have ha you might not have had. So here we go. What films will you watch to get pumped up? Oh yeah, you're such a runner. Pumped up, motivated, inspired for something. Whether this is before a sports event at school, uh, or pitch before a big meeting. I think there is a whole host of amazing options here. Films that just make you feel like you can conquer the world after uh, seeing them. For me, um, uh, 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 there's always a very strong argument for any kind of courtroom drama mm. uh, where the protagonist is proved successful, especially in the face of defeat, um, like Gregory Peck's final speech in To Kill a Mockingbird. A few like, good men. A few good men is a big yeah. one. For me, of course, the real answer would be any given Sunday. Uh, if you know, you know, Al Pacino's rousing inches speech that never fails to get the blood pumping and makes you feel like you can do anything. You can see it in the characters' faces during the speech and the energy they have when, when uh, sprinting out the dressing room and slamming the door as they go. I would love to hear your choices for this and what they would be. Uh, and if you have any suggestions for these types of films, I will let you know how the marathon goes and oh, look forward to, to many more pods to help me pass the time. Sam, if you're listening to this while you're running, keep, you keep going. going. You bloody do it my friend left right there we go um to answer your question sam i don't really associate watching films to pump me up that's something music will do but just reading that feeling elated or i'd say like no i think if i if i want the testosterone and a bit of like let's go i promise it's whiplash yeah, that's good. I was going to say the King's Speech. Because I have a voice. Oh, yeah. Like so when that, the way I the have music. Received. Yeah. I have received. Yeah. <laughs> and will be. I'm currently. Because yeah. I'm bloody well You're a bloody well Yeah. Yeah, you're right. At the end, that's rousing. But isn't that more like. I always like it when he puts all the marbles in his mouth. He's like, <laughs> bloody <laughs> choked to death on the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. <laughs> yeah, any sort of like uh, triumph over <laughs> adversity, like things like that, will get yeah. you um, pumped up. I yeah, think. and the mu the music at the end of King's Speech, it's like the swell of mm. British, and yes, the war is ahead of us, yeah. but we will endure. Mm. I don't know. No, no, I, th I, th I think that kind of works. I don't, again, I don't, because film's such a long, you know, a song can get you pumped up in three minutes, but a film, I guess, is a deeper level. Would I, musicals that get you there? Maybe a big hard action film. Yeah, yeah like, like, like The Raid. Like, or The Rock. With Nicolas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you remember that? Yeah. It's quite, you know, it's silly. Yeah. Uh, I love the Rocket Man. Do you remember that? <laughs> Elton, have you heard the Elton John song, The Rocket Man? <laughs> yeah. So stupid. National Treasure always pulling off a great heist. Yeah, um, any Mission Impossible film, surely, would oh, get you yeah. part, Especially bum, Dead bum, Reckoning bum, Part bum, 2, bum, actually. Bum, yeah. Because oh, the way right, that ends. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there you go, Sam. Dad, you got to get the treasure. <laughs> I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Um, Thank you very much for your emails there, everyone. We really appreciate them. Don't forget, continue to send them in to hello at popwitchinpodcast.com. I know I said at the top of the show that we do struggle to get to them. And, you know, there are the odd few that we might not get to. But again, we will try. We will read them. We read everyone. Send them in. Undoubtedly, we will try and get to them. On to the end of the show. James, we're going to end this episode with one simple round of the game. 
which is an old favourite, of course. It is Castus Countdown. Nice. I'm going to read the cast of a movie, and you have to see if you can guess what the movie is by the time we get to the end of the cast. Okay. So you know the drill, you know everyone. Play along at home. Okay. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm happy I've remembered this. Uh, yeah, okay. Here we go. <laughs> so, guess the movie based on its cast in three, two, one. Ewan McGregor. Abigail Breslin. Margot Martindale. It's not Beauty and the Beast. Dermot Mulrooney. Juliette Lewis. Benedict Cumberbatch. Hmm. Sam Shepard. Chris Cooper. Julia Roberts. Whoa. And lastly, Meryl Streep. Do you have any idea what that movie is? Julia Roberts and Meryl Streep. Do I know this? Is it Julie and Julia? No. No. One more time. It's Ewan McGregor, Ab- Abigail Breslin, Margaret Martindale, Dermot Mulroney, Juliet Lewis, Benedict Cumberbatch, Sam Shepard, Chris Cooper, Juliet Roberts, Julia Roberts, and Meryl Streep. That is the now much forgotten film, August Osage County, which came out oh. in 2013. And when I was Googling uh, this film to prep the cast list, the first question that comes up on Google is, <laughs> what was the point of the movie, August <laughs> Osage County? <laughs> Do you remember, has Meryl Streep got an Oscar nomination for it? Yeah, it was of course like she did. Southern set, based on a play, family wake, someone's died. And Benedict Cumberbatch is doing a slightly wonky American accent. Oh, oh God, I missed Uncle Ben's funeral. Um, it's got, yeah, randomly Ewan McGregor's in it as well. And then you've Gosh. got these other actors. I remember Juliette Lewis and I hadn't seen her in anything for a while. Julia Roberts, hello, Meryl Streep, doing the sort of yeah. matriarch family. But never seen it though. No. But do you remember it? Yeah, like the title really rings a bell. Show, you, show me a poster. You will, so you'll, can... It was an Oscar. Ten, it, it was one of those films that gets talked about a lot in the Oscars of that year. And then no you never hear it. There always are those Oscar films that nobody heard until it got nominated and no one sees. Yeah, oh my god, I remember that post. Uh, that's where you get the cast list. Uh, yeah. the cast list and also the, uh, the the famous one was the, this one where they're squabbling over like they're like in the, in the. Do you remember that? Oh uh, right, yeah. What's it? Uh, not that we well, not that we know to comment on these, but what's its Rotten Tomato score? It's run. I bet it's high. Hmm, sixty six. Yeah, that's not ideal. No, it means nothing. Look, I haven't seen it, so I don't want to comment whether or not it was good or not. But that's a good it was one based on a. It was a play based on a play by Tracy Letts. You know Tracy Letts, uh, the actor, uh, yeah, actor uh, playwright. Do I? No. The dad and Lady Bird, and much else besides. Okay, right. You know he's the one in Little Women who's who's like, if you write a write a story, make it short. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Make sure the woman's married or dead by the end or something like, yeah, that. like that. Anyway, everybody. That was Cast's Countdown, and that was episode 94 of Pulp Kitchen. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the episode this week. We really appreciate you spending our time with us. Don't forget we post new episodes of the show every single Wednesday. Don't forget, guys, we're also posting a bonus episode this week in which we speak about James's girlfriend's experience about seeing an alien double bill at the IMAX. Well, really, we she to. speaks about her own experience because yes. we... she makes her debut on the show. Yes, so a, a, a reporter on the show, James's girlfriend Talia, comes and joins us and talks to us about her first time viewing Alien and Aliens for the first time. So that'll be a crack In the IMAX. Yeah, we were very jealous. So that's our bonus this week. And as ever, guys, please continue to like, subscribe, and follow us on social media. We really appreciate it. It does mean a lot to us, and it keeps us going. Rate us on Spotify. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Just sing to the hills. Tell your teacher. Tell your mom. Tell your dog. Tell your priest. Pulp Kitchen is the way to go. We are slowly approaching episode 100. Exciting things. 
coming. I, I mean, I just, I'm, yeah, I'm nervous how much you build that up. It's, I, I just, it's just exciting. It's exciting. It's an exciting milestone. I can't, I, you know, I'm putting pressure on myself to deliver something here. And I don't know if we can deliver. I will deliver. We'll deliver. All right. See you guys next week. Have a great, have a great week. Bye.